that scene even better is if you see how the lady in the wheelchair comes in. They just make conversation. She just walks in, and then she makes the uh, she makes conversation with someone. They say, "Oh, let me give you a place to sit. We'll be much more comfortable than those rotten chairs." So they put her in a wheelchair, and so then she stands up like, "Oh, I can stand. You know, I was good stand." So <clears throat> we've been looking, and we're in a continuing study of the book of Acts. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, in a series, a mini-series within our larger series called The Church on Fire. This mini-series is called The Transformed Life in the Context of Community. And we are right now kind of in our fifth week of this, and we're going to spend three more weeks actually in this section dealing with an issue that to me is a, a very curious thing that happens to these people. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Acts chapter 2, to that passage, 42 through 47. We've looked at a few things before. We looked at they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We looked at that uh, they were devoted to learning. We looked at they were devoted to the fellowship. And if you can see even in this passage, they ate at each other's homes and, and just hung out together. And they were devoted to that fellowship. We looked last week that they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. And we said, Why? Was that? It was because of those Asians, justification, regeneration, and sanctification. But this week, I want to, the next three weeks, I want to look at the rest of this. There's something very curious that happens. So let's look at verses 43 to 47 exclusively. It says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone, anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These are people who don't know each other before. They, they, they were in the city. They were there for the, the festival of weeks or what was called Pentecost. And they gathered together and something amazing happened. The Spirit of God came on those disciples, those 12 disciples and the hundred so other people who were there and amazing things started to happen. They started to speak another language. You could see when the Spirit came, it, it looked like they said like laps of fire or tongues of fire and it landed on people and amazing things started to happen. This crowd came, many, many people, we don't know how many exactly, but of that crowd, after Peter gets an opportunity to explain what's happening, that Christ, in, in fact, was alive, 3,000 of them turned to Christ. 3,000 people turn over to, to Jesus. Now, these people are hanging out every day. They're, they're doing things in the temple courts. And, of course, we're going to see that that doesn't happen daily later in the book of Acts. It happens more in a weekly fashion, at least a weekly fashion. They were involved in each other's lives all the time, but they weren't every day at the temple. But for this, in the very beginning, they are. They're there all the time, and they did something amazing. Look at that. It says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods, and they gave it to anybody else who had need. These are not people that, they, they didn't know each other. They just considered their stuff, the other person's stuff. And I want to take three weeks to talk about that simple sentence. So selling the possessions they gave to everyone as they had need. They had everything in common. These brand spanking new Christians sold off their stuff and gave it away. That's radical. 
There's something transforming about that. So I want to take three weeks to discuss a biblical understanding of money and stuff. And there's, there's a few reasons why I want to do it. Three, in fact. There's three reasons why I want to spend a few weeks on this issue. First of all, because our culture is completely whacked when it comes to stuff and money. Completely whacked. If you don't believe me, just watch commercials. The commercials tell you, they're, they're, the, the overall arching idea of a commercial is, is you are not okay until you have X product. If you just have X lax, you will be okay. <laughs> Some of you may need X lax, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with X lax. But if I just had that new car, or if I just had a home more, man, there was a commercial on, well, we're watching the NCAAs, and these, these two people were just freaking out about something. Oh, I don't know how it went. How do you, oh, I think we're paying too much interest in anything in their car driving. And then they get and they look at the computer and they click the button. Oh, we got the loan. Yay, we got the loan. Man, you can get a loan from, I get credit card applications every day. No big deal. But there's something, I will be satisfied. My life will be all okay if I have a loan. Commercials are there to tell you, yeah, I'd be happy if I had that. Do that with a billboard. Walk by the billboard and say, I'd be happy if I was eating at Chipotle. No, that one's true. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's what it's trying to tell you. <laughs> A little plug there for Chipotle. But any ad is telling you you'll be happy if you did that. There's a movie right now called Envy. I haven't, just the trailers are out. It hasn't even come out yet. But uh, um, I can't endorse it because I haven't seen it. But it's all this theme of being stinky rich and what does that do to you? Like the bumper sticker says, if you truly die with the most toys, will you in fact win? Is that, is that what it means to win at life? You die with the most toys. I've heard somebody say that you cannot take it with you. There is no U-Haul at the back of a, of, a, of a hearse. And so you cannot take it with you. But if you can have the most, if you can accumulate the most things, you will be satisfied. They did studies of lottery winners and asked them if they were happier before or after. And almost all of them say, before, by far. And every one of us is saying, yeah, but I wouldn't mind trying to be happy with that kind of money. <laughs> Blaise Pascal talks about this, that we have a craving for happiness and we have a lie and that our culture, and especially living in a capitalistic society, I have nothing against a capitalist society, but what it has to do is push its goods upon you that you need them. Blaise Pascal says, when he talks about this feelingness of, of wanting to be happy, he says, what else does this craving for happiness and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he can find, uh, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. The first thing is, is because every one of us constantly is, is, in, is baptized into this culture that says, you'll be happy if you were just wealthy. If you just had another car, you'd be happy. Second thing, because there's a perception, it's a misperception, 
But there's a perception that the church is all about money. That clip we saw where Steve Martin is a scam artist in the movie Leap of Faith, he's a complete scam artist. But there's a perception that that's what church is about. You go to church, and the church just wants your money. And they're not, it's, not really, it's not really about if it's real or not. Oh, man, that was a great, at the end there, he says, hey, some people pay 65 bucks for a Broadway show. My, I give my people a good show, good music. Acts chapter 2 is about authenticity and authentic, life-changing transformation. Nothing could be different than what Acts chapter 2 is talking about and what Steve Martin was portraying. Any of you who are going into leadership um, in spiritual ministry, you need to watch that movie, Leap of Faith. Now, there's some swearing in it, so I can't totally endorse it, but I mean, there's, it talks about feeding off the flock and not caring at all about people, but just wanting them to take, take things from them. The third reason why we're going to spend so much time on this three weeks is, is because your money and your stuff is a very important spiritual matter. It's a very important spiritual matter. Sometimes you think that, oh, you know, spiritual things are matters of the heart, and money stuff, oh, that's just whatever. And some of you are sitting here and you're college students and you've got nothing. You're thinking, ah, why do we have to talk about this? Let me tell you, getting it straight now will help you better than 50 years down the road when you've got to undo stuff, undo lifestyles. Amen? Yeah. Getting it straight now is better when you ain't got nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> your, your money and your stuff is a very spiritual matter. Flip over to Luke chapter 3. By the way, uh, in the next three weeks, I'm going to be very indebted to two people, both of which Hamlet and I and Pat Conkey went and, and uh, uh, heard at a conference. Uh, one is a man by the name of Randy Alcorn. He's got two books on this issue uh, of money. And the one is called uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. It's this massive book about this big, and it's awesome. I've never actually read it, but I've heard it's good. <clears throat> the other one is this little tiny thing, 88 pages and they're small, and it's called The Treasure Principle. And I've read this, because it's small. I've read 55 pages yesterday morning of it. I haven't finished it yet in one hour. So uh, I, I endorse both of them, but if you're like me, give me the cliff notes. Um, so this is, uh, and Dwight Perry also um, was someone who we heard at this conference. And so I, I, I don't want to uh, tell you every time I hear something that I'm quoting from them, I'm just going to give them overall credit for the things we're going to talk about. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. And I really want to focus on verses 10 to 14, but I want to give you the context. So let's start in verse 1. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Itru and Trachotis and Lysias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. That's John the Baptist. He went into all the country around the Jordan River, that is, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling on the desert, prepare the way. For the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So, 
John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's a precursor to Jesus. He's there to, to level the ground, to take the, the high places, make them low, and make the low places high. And he's there to level the ground and prepare the way for Jesus. And he comes with a message. The message is, for, is repentance. Remember that? Repentance, forgiveness of sins. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. <laughs> I just love John. I mean, John is not the kind of guy you'd want to go play 18 holes with, you know? Just, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's generally two kinds of people in the world. Those people who are grace seekers, those ones who want you know, to really warm and cuddly and they want to hold you. And those who are truth tellers. Uh, John the Baptist is way over here, okay? John the Baptist just, boom, double barrel, right in the face. Here you go. Who warned you to, to look out for the coming wrath? It's almost like, I wish you weren't here so, you know, God could trash you kind of a thing. That's what it sounds like there. And he says, don't tell me you're Jewish. I don't care if you're Jewish or not. Those rocks over there, God could make a Jew out of one of those. And then he says, the axe is ready at the tree. He just, God can't, God's waiting to just cut you down. This would not be what we call seeker-friendly speech, if, if you're wondering. But that's not John's job. John's job is to prepare the way for the Lord. Now look at their response. They say, what should we do? And look how John responds to them. He says, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Tax collectors were the worst form, the worst scum, you know, uh, because they were Jewish people who were hired by the Roman government to take from, from the other Jews. Kind of like the IRS today. <clears throat> the, uh, just kidding. If anybody works for the IRS, it's a joke. The... <laughs> But they were really looked down on it, and they said, what should we do? It says, don't collect any more than you are required to. Don't pinch any on the sides. Just take what you're supposed to do. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The rule then was, if you were a Roman soldier... If you came up to someone and, and, and you wanted them to, say, carry your, your, your supplies for a mile, they had to. And the way you could extort out of them and say, listen, I'm going to make up some false accusation against you, and either you pay me or, or you do this service for me, otherwise I'm going to get you in big trouble. And John says, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, just be content with your pay. The three things that John said in order to get right with God, what should we do are all physical things. They're all possessions. They all have to do with money. Don't ever separate spiritual, what you think are heart matter things, and physical things, especially in the area of money and possessions. Jesus spoke more on money and possessions than any other topic. 15% of all that he said was on money and possessions. He spoke more about that than he did heaven and hell combined. So don't, 
it's hugely, it's hugely important. Let's look at one of the things Jesus spoke about. He has these set of parables which are just curious set of parables. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is trying to teach about what the kingdom of heaven is about. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, he gives two different pictures, parables he calls them, stories of the kingdom. And there are ways that it tell you what this kingdom of God is like, and he's trying to explain it. In verse 44, he gives one of them. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, so just stop right there and picture this person. He's out wandering in this field, and he steps on something, and he kind of scuffs it, and he, what's this? And he goes like that, and he dig, 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 dig. He finds his treasure. When he found it, he put it back in the ground, and he covered it back up. It says, when he found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's, he says, the kingdom of God is like that. So what's going on? Here's this guy. He takes this, this, I assume it's like a treasure box, and there's all kinds of gold coins and, oh, obviously worth more than everything he has. And so he closes it. He puts it back in the ground, and he covers it again. And then he goes and he sells. No-brainer, doesn't even think about it. He knows it's totally worth it. He sells everything he has, and he buys that field. Why? Because the owner of the field would own the treasure. Now what bothers you a little bit about this parable? There should be something that bothers you. Yeah, he's totally shrewd, right? I mean, it's not his treasure. It's the dude who owns the field's treasure. And he says, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll take that, tre I'll take that field off your hands. Ain't worth nothing. Doesn't say the treasure. He's shrewd about it. Do you hear what Jesus says here? He says, be shrewd. Be shrewd about the kingdom of heaven. Rip off God. <laughs> the deal you got with God is awesome. And Jesus says, I'm the owner of the field. Rip me off. Verse 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So this merchant, he's looking at fine pearls, you know, and these are junk, these are junk. These. Whoa, when he found one of great value, again, he's also shrewd, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It's just a no-brainer. He says, I'm going to get rid of everything I have and buy it. Now, when you look at possessions, all your stuff that you have. And I got a lot of stuff. I was just talking with Neil and Katie last night. We haven't moved in 14 years. We need, a, we need to either move or have a fire. <laughs> Let's not have anybody apply that, okay? Um, <laughs> but, you know, you just accumulate lots of stuff. Just stuff, 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 stuff. And the question about stuff is, who owns it? Do you own it, or does it own you? Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, I drive beaters. I always drive beaters. And that's a value that my dad, you know, taught me. Everybody drives a used car. You do. You know, whether it's new or not. You drove it off a lot. It's used. Um, but, uh, you know, every time I get a, a new used car, it owns me for a while. 
I'm always, you know, closing the door and going up to the house here and kind of turning around and, you know, checking out that car and it's kind of cool looking and yeah, it's all right. At that point in time, it owns me. I'd park it, you know, six blocks away from where I want to be so no one will park next to it and ding it and that whole kind of thing. And it was so refreshing this time when I bought the most expensive vehicle I ever bought. It was our Suburban here. It's a 97 and I bought it with over 100,000 miles but it's still the most expensive vehicle I've ever bought. And I was about three weeks into it, and the kids are playing hard baseball, and of course, dunk! <laughs> and it ain't a Kia, which shows, you know, where the thing bounces off and nothing happens. This is a good old Suburban made out of metal. <laughs> <laughs> and a big old dent. And the kid who did it says, oh, I'm sorry. And I said to him, no big deal. And I honestly meant it. I couldn't have said that before. So God's even doing a work in my life. I, before, I'd have been like, ah! Uh, I remember when we had our first son, David, and he had this matchbox car. We just had gotten our Buick, and it was also a pretty decent car at that time. And he had his matchbox car, and he was taking it sideways on the hood of the car. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wasn't there then. I wasn't there. I was like, David, what are you doing? What are just goals, Dad? At least make it go with the wheels, you know. <clears throat> Who owns it? You or does it own you? Now, the funny thing in Scripture, and Scripture is an amazing thing, how it twists natural, it takes what we have as natural desires that we think uh, are, let me say this a different way. It, scripture often takes uh, uh, something that we experience wrongly and shows us the right way to experience it. Often. And I want to look at a passage with you that actually encourages you to hoard. Matthew chapter 6, be the last passage we look at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus actually commands you to hoard treasure. Look at this passage, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now look at, look at verse 19. It says, don't store up don't store up uh, for yourselves treasures on earth. If you look at the original language here, it actually says, don't treasure, don't treasure up treasures. It's the same exact word except it's the verb. So don't treasure up treasures on earth. Why? Why don't do that? What does the passage say? Because you can't take it with you. Because he who dies with the most toys does not win. There is no U-Haul at the back of a hearse. It says, don't do that. Why? Because it's wrong? Well, maybe. More because it's just stupid. Don't do that. Don't invest all your money in icicles that are going to melt. What do you invest in? 
Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where, your, where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves do not break in and do not, uh, and do not steal. And then it says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the things that Randy Elkhorn said that really struck me at this conference is he says, why do Christians fear death so much? We know we're going to heaven. Why do we fear it then? And he said this. He said, it's because you're treasuring things here. You're treasuring, it's like, like this speaker. If this thing were my treasure, and as I get older and as I get closer and closer to death, I'm moving away from my treasure. And it causes me to despair because my treasures are getting further and further away. He says, no, 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 no. If your treasure is Jesus, and that's what you live for, as you walk through life, you start to more and more desire that. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was looking forward to the day when he went toes up. Why? Because he could be with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I think biblically, and we'll look at this in the next few weeks, as you look this way and as you are more and more in love with Jesus and you follow him, you start to enjoy the speaker more and more. Because it doesn't own you anymore. You own it. Then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, that, that really means, if you're, it says, if your eyes are good, and what that really means, if your eye is single, that's the phrase that's used, if your eye is single, don't be a double, don't have double vision. What's the double vision? Jesus says it clearly, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve the speaker and serve, you can't be doing one of these, back and forth with your head. Which do I want? Do I want the stuff or do I want Christ? Do I want the stuff or Christ? Can't do it. He says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. You will be set free. Now, I am not here this morning because I want your money. I, I want you to be set free. I don't, I don't, I don't want your money. Uh, Hope Community Church, does that mean we don't have a budget to win have needs? Yes, of course we do. Give your money other places. That, that's not the point. I'm more concerned about your spiritual care. It is not, as Steve Martin said, a sign of your uh, need. Before I can do any miracles, I've got to see a sign of your faithfulness. No. No. It's to set you free so that you're not worshiping money or possessions. Hoarding money and possessions isn't just wrong. It's stupid. It's bad investment. Jesus says it's bad investment. It's going to come back and bite you. Look at all this passage. He ends it then. And I'll, I'll close with this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God will take care of you. That is the promise. Does that mean you're going to have a Rolex and, and drive a Beamer and all that? I don't know. It doesn't promise that. Jesus didn't have it. But God will take care of you. The great spiritual secret is Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be focused in this way. And this stuff will be added to you. But you're not going to be freaking out about this stuff. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians in the 50s, died uh, trying to reach them. Uh, it was a misunderstanding. And the, the Indians didn't speak any English, and he was trying to reach this tribe. And uh, they ended up killing all the, all the men of these couples that went down there. Elizabeth Elliot has written many books about uh, different things, and especially about their time in Ecuador. The, all these wives went back down to Ecuador and ministered to these Indians for years and years and years after they had killed their husbands. I think it was four couples that went. And Jim, Jim Elliot said this, before, obviously, before he, he died. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I got a question for you this morning as we close. Are you hoarding enough? Are you treasuring the things that matter most? Can you imagine? I know there's maybe like, I don't know how many people here today, but if there were 3,000 of us just like there were in that day, and for the first time they were hearing these teachings of Jesus, what, did, what would they do? Well, they'd start to give away their stuff and sell it and borrow it and not hold on to it, not worry if it got ruined. Don't, don't get me wrong, be good stewards. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, but there's something freeing by knowing that I am not worth my W-2, that I am not worth my accumulation of stuff that's not what defines me. Are you hoarding enough in the things that matter? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we want to treasure you. We want to treasure you. And Lord, because you, you say it's good investing, it's a good thing to do. Lord, you've said that we shouldn't store up for ourselves treasures on, in this earth put them in the bank account and put all our hope in that. Lord, our desire is to put our hope in you. And then whatever happens, whatever happens in this life, we have put our hope firmly in you. And as a result, we're changed. So Lord, I pray that you'd free everyone in this room this morning, whether from the first time or for multiple times, you'd free them from the love of possessions, the love of money, the great American heresy that if I just have a white picket fence and 2.6 kids in a car in the front and, and a good job paying, I'll be happy, and it's not true. Would you free us from that, Father? Let us know that happiness only comes in serving and following you, and at times we even suffer joyfully because we're looking ahead. Oh, Lord God, would you do that? That's got to be a gift from you because we are... Our feet are certainly of clay here as we live in this world where it just seems to be that we'll be happy if we were just rich. So you have to do that work in us and make us like those, those original 3,000 who were not bound to possessions. We ask this, Lord, free us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.